Hey guys, I'm back. We left off from Harry has received a invisibility cloak with just a note that said it used to be his father's and to use it wisely doesn't say who it's from. No, no real important information on it. Um, he used the cloak to try to learn about Nicholas Flamel. That failed. Um... And then, because of that failure, found a magic mirror hidden in the castle that shows you what you want most. Um, then he also won another match of Quidditch against Hufflepuff. And he was originally concerned because um, Professor Snape, who he believes really doesn't like him at all, um, has chosen to referee this particular round of Quidditch and so he was worried that you know that it was going to be unfair and there was no way they were going to win. They did win. He caught the golden snitch in the fastest time that anybody has and they won and so that's also how he ended up following Snape out into the woods and found a little bit of information out about the Sorcerer's Stone that Professor Snape and Professor Quirrell were speaking about in the woods. So we're going to pick back up with chapter 14 and see what happens next. Chapter 14. Norbit the Norwegian Ridgeback. Quirrell, however, must have been braver than they thought. In the weeks that followed, he did seem to be getting paler and thinner, but it didn't look as though he'd cracked yet. Every time they passed the third floor corridor, Harry, Ron, and Hermione would press their ears to the door to check that Fluffy was still growling inside. Snape was sweeping about in his usual bad temper, which surely meant that the stone was still safe. Whenever Harry passed Quirrell these days, he gave him an encouraging sort of smile, and Ron had started telling people off for laughing at Quirrell's stutter. Hermione, however, had more on her mind than the Sorcerer's Stone. She is starting drawing up study schedules and color-coding all her notes. Harry and Ron wouldn't even have minded, but she kept nagging them to do the same. Hermione, the exams are ages away. Ten weeks, Hermione snapped. That's not ages. That's like a second to Nicholas Flamel. But we're not 600 years old, Ron reminded her. Anyway, what are you studying for? You already know it all. What am I studying for? Are you crazy? You realize we need to pass these exams to get into second year. They're very important. I should have started studying a month ago. I don't know what's gotten into me. Unfortunately, the teachers seemed to be thinking along the same lines as Hermione. They piled so much homework on them that the Easter holidays weren't nearly as much fun as the Christmas ones. It was hard to relax with Hermione next to you reciting the twelve uses of dragon's blood or practicing wand movements. Moaning and yawning, Harry and Ron spent most of their free time in the library with her, trying to get through all their extra work. I'll never remember this, Ron burst out one after nine, throwing down his quill and looking longingly out of the library window. It was the first really fine day they'd had in months. The sky was a clear forget-me-not blue, and there was a feeling in the air of summer coming. Harry, who was looking up Dittany on 1,000 magical herbs and fungi didn't look up until the, he heard Ron say, Hagrid, what are you doing in the library? 
Haggard shuffled into view, hiding him something behind his back, and looked very out of place in his moleskin overcoat. Just looking, he said in a shifty voice that got their interest at once. And what are you looking up to? He looked suddenly suspicious. You're not still looking for Nicholas Flamel, are you? Oh, we found out who he is ages ago, said Ron impressively. And we know what the dog's guarding. It's a sorceress. Haggard looked around quickly as to see if anyone was listening. Don't go shouting about it. What's the matter with you? There are a few things we wanted to ask you, as a matter of fact, said Harry. About what's guarding the stone apart from Fluffy. Shh, said Haggard again. Listen, come on, see me later. I'm not promising I'll tell you anything, mind, but don't go rabbing it about in here. Students aren't supposed to know there. They'll think I've told you. See you later then, said Harry. Haggard shuffled off. What was he hiding behind his back, said Hermione thoughtfully. Do you think he had anything to do with the stone? I'm going to see what section he was in, said Ron, who'd had enough of working. He came back a minute later with a pile of books in his arms and slammed them down on the table. Dragons, he whispered. Haggard was looking up stuff about dragons. Look at these. Dragon species of Great Britain and Ireland, from egg to inferno, a dragon keeper's guide. Haggard's always wanted a dragon, he told me so the first time I ever met him, said Harry. But it's against our laws, said Ron. Dragon breeding was outlawed by the Warlocks Convention of 1709. Everyone knows that. It's hard to stop muggles from noticing us if we're keeping dragons in the back garden. Anyway, you can't tame dragons. It's dangerous. You should see the burns Charlie's got off wild ones in Romania. But there aren't wild dragons in Britain, said Harry. Of course there are, said Ron. Come on, Welsh green and Herbridian blacks. The mystery of magic has a job hushing them up, I can tell you. Our kind have to keep putting spells on the muggles who have spotted them to make them forget. So what on earth Hagrid up to, said Hermione. When they knocked on the door of the gamekeeper's hut, an hour later, they were surprised to see that all the curtains were closed. Hagrid called out, Who's there? Before he let them in, and then shut the door quickly behind them. It was stifling hot inside. Even though it was such a warm day, there was a blazing fire in the grate. Hagrid made them tea and offered them stoat sandwiches, which they refused. So, you want to ask me something? Yes, said Harry. There was no point in beating around the bush. We were wondering if you could tell us what's guarding the Sorcerer's Stone apart from Fluffy. Hagrid frowned at him. Of course I can't, he said. Number one, I don't know myself. Number two, you know too much already, so I wouldn't tell you if I could. That stone's here for a good reason. It was almost stolen out of Gringotts. I suppose you've worked that out and all. Beats me how you even know about Fluffy. Oh, come on, Hagrid. You might not want to tell us, but you do know... You know everything that goes on around here, said Hermione, in a warm, flattering voice. Hagrid's beard twitched, and they could tell he was smiling. We only wondered who had done the guarding, really, Hermione went on. We wonder who Dumbledore had trusted enough to help him apart from you. Hagrid's chest swelled at the last words. Harry and Ron beamed at Hermione. Well, I don't suppose it could hurt to tell you that. Let's see, he borrowed Fluffy from me. 
Then some of the teachers did enchantments. Professor Sprout, Professor Flitwick, Professor McGonagall. He ticked them off on his fingers. Professor Carl and Dumbledore himself did something, of course. Hang on, I've forgotten someone. Oh, yes, Professor Snape. Snape? Yeah, you're not sitting on a, still on about that, are you? Look, Snape helped protect the stone. He's not about to steal it. Harry knew Ron and Hermione were thinking the same as he was. If Snape had been in on protecting the stone, it must have been easy to find out how the other teachers had guarded it. He probably knew everything, except it seemed Coral Spell and how to get past Fluffy. You're the only one who knows how to get past Fluffy, aren't you, Hagrid? said Harry anxiously. And you wouldn't tell anyone, would you? Not even one of the teachers? Not a soul knows except me and Dumbledore, said Hagrid proudly. Well, that's something, Harry muttered to the others. Hagrid, can we have a window open? I'm boiling. Can't, Harry. Sorry, said Hagrid. Harry noticed him glance at the fire. Harry looked at it too. Hagrid, what's that? But he already knew what it was. In the very heart of the fire, underneath the kettle, was a huge black egg. Oh, said Hagrid, fiddling nervously with his beard. That's, uh... Where'd you get it, Hagrid? said Ron, crouching over the fire to get a closer look at the egg. It must have cost you a fortune. Won it, said Hagrid, last night. I was down in the village having a few drinks and got into a game of cards with a stranger. think he was quite glad to get rid of it, too, to be honest. But what are you going to do with it when it's hatched, said Hermione. Well, I've been doing some reading, said Hagrid, pulling a large book from under his pillow. Got this out of the library. Dragon breeding for pleasure and profit. It's a bit uh, outdated, of course, but it's all in here. Keep the egg in the fire, because their mothers breathe on them, so... And when it hatches, feed it in on a bucket of brandy mixed with chicken blood every half hour. And see here how to recognize different eggs? What I got there is a Norwegian Ridgeback. They're rare. Them are. He looked very pleased with himself, but Hermione didn't. Hagrid, you live in a wooden house, she said. But Hagrid wasn't listening. He was humming merrily as he stoked the fire. So now they had something else to worry about. What might happen to Hagrid if anyone found out he was hiding an illegal dragon in his hut? Wonder what it's like to have a peaceful life, Ron sighed, as evening after evening they struggled through all the extra homework they were getting. Hermione had now started making study schedules for Harry and Ron, too. It was driving them nuts. Then, one breakfast time, Hedgewig brought Harry another note from Hagrid. He had written only two words. It's hatching. Ron wanted to skip Herbology and go straight down to the hut. Hermione wouldn't hear of it. Hermione, how many times in our lives are we going to see a dragon hatching? We've got lessons. We'll get in trouble, and that's nothing to what Hagrid's going to be in when someone finds out what he's doing. Shut up, Harry whispered. Malfoy was only a few feet away, and he had stopped dead to listen. How much had he heard? Harry didn't like the look on Malfoy's face at all. Ron and Hermione argued all the way to Herbology, and in the end, Hermione agreed to run down to Hagrid's with the other two during morning break. When the bell sounded from the castle at the end of their lesson, the three of them dropped their towels at once and hurried through the grounds to the edge of the forest. Hagrid greeted them looking flushed and excited. 
It's nearly out, he ushered them inside. The egg was lying on the stable. There was deep cracks in it, too. Something was moving inside. A funny clicking noise was coming from it. They all drew their chairs up to the table and watched with bated breath. All at once, there was a scraping noise, and the egg split open. The baby dragon flopped onto the table. It wasn't exactly pretty. Harry thought it looked like a crumpled black umbrella. Its spiny wings were huge compared to its skinny jet body. It had a long snout with wide nostrils, the stubs of horns, and bulging orange eyes. It sneezed. A couple of sparks flew out of its snout. Isn't he beautiful? Hagrid murmured. He reached out a hand to stroke the dragon's head. It snapped at his fingers, showing pointed fangs. Bless him. Look, he knows his mummy, said Hagrid. Hagrid, said Hermione. How fast do Norwegian Ridgebacks grow exactly? Hagrid was about to answer when the color suddenly drained from his face. He leapt to his feet and ran to the window. What's the matter? Someone was looking through the gap in the curtains. It's a kid. He's running back up to the school. Harry bolted the door and looked out. Even at a distance, there was no mistaking him. Malfoy had seen the dragon. Something about the smile lurking on Malfoy's face during the next week made Harry, Ron, and Hermione very nervous. They spent most of their free time in Hagrid's darkened hut trying to reason with him. Just let him go, Harry urged. Set him free. I can't, said Hagrid. He's too little. He'd die. They looked at the dragon. It had grown three times in length in just a week. Smoke kept furling out of its nostrils. Hagrid hadn't been doing his gamekeeping duties because the dragon was keeping him so busy. There were empty brandy bottles and chicken feathers all over the floor. I've decided to call him Norbit, said Hagrid, looking at the dragon with misty eyes. He really knows me now. Watch. Norbit, Norbit, where's mummy? He's lost his marbles, Ron muttered in Harry's ear. Hagrid, said Harry loudly. Give it two weeks and Norbit's going to be as long as your house. Malfoy could go to Dumbledore at any moment. Hagrid bit his lip. I know, I can't keep him forever, but I can't just dump him. I can't, Harry suddenly turned to Ron. Charlie, he said. You're losing it too, said Ron. I'm Ron, remember? No, Charlie, your brother, Charlie, in Romania, studying dragons. We could send Norbit to him. Charlie can take care of him and then put him back in the wild. Brilliant, said Ron. How about it, Hagrid? And in the end, Hagrid agreed that they could send an owl to Charlie to ask him. The following week dragged by. Wednesday night found Hermione and Harry sitting alone in the common room, long after everyone else had gone to bed. The clock on the wall had just chimed midnight when the portrait hole burst open. Ron appeared out of nowhere as he pulled off Harry's invisibility cloak. He had been down at Hagrid's hut, helping him feed Norbit, who was now eating dead rats by the crate. Get bit me, he said, showing them his hand, which was wrapped in a bloody handkerchief. I'm going to be able to hold a quill for a week. I tell you, that dragon's the most horrible animal I've ever met. But the way Hagrid goes on about it, you'd think it was a fluffy little bunny rabbit. When it bit me, he told me off for frightening it, and when I left, he was singing it a lullaby. There was a tap on the door window. It's Hedgewig, said Harry, hurrying to let her in. She'll have Charlie's answer. The three of them put their heads together to read the note. Dear Ron, how are you? Thanks for the letter. I'd be glad to take the 
Norwegian Ridgeback, but it won't be easy getting him here. I think the best thing will be to send him over with some friends of mine who are coming to visit me next week. Trouble is, they mustn't be seen carrying an illegal dragon. Could you get the Ridgeback up the tallest tower at midnight on Saturday? They can meet you there and take him away while it's still dark. Send me an answer as soon as possible. Love, Charlie. They looked at one another. We've got the invisibility cloak, said Harry. It shouldn't be too difficult. I think the cloak's big enough to cover two of us and Norbit. It was a mark of how bad the last week had been that the other two agreed with him. Anything to get rid of Norbit and Malfoy. There was a hitch. By the next morning, Ron's bitten hand had swollen to twice its usual size. He didn't know whether it was safe to go to Madame Pomfrey. Would she recognize the dragon bite? By the afternoon, though, he had no choice. The cut had turned nasty shades of green. It looked as if Norbit's fangs were poisonous. Harry and Hermione rushed up to the hospital wing at the end of the day to find Ron in a terrible state in bed. It's not just my hand, he whispered, although that feels like it's about to fall off. Malfoy told Madame Pomfrey he wanted to borrow one of my books so he could come and have a good laugh at me. He kept threatening to tell her what really bit me. I've told her it was a dog, but I don't think she believes me. I shouldn't have hit him at the Quidditch match. That's why he's doing this. Harry and Hermione tried to calm Ron down. It'll all be over at midnight on Saturday, said Hermione, but this didn't soothe Ron at all. On the contrary, he sat bolt upright and broke into a sweat. Midnight on Saturday, he said in a hoarse voice. Oh, no. Oh, no. I just remember. Charlie's letter was in that book Malfoy took. He's going to know we're getting rid of Norbit. Harry and Hermione didn't get a chance to answer. Madame Pomfrey came over at that moment and made Lim leave, saying Ron needed sleep. It's too late to change the plan now, Harry told Hermione. We haven't got time to send Charlie another owl, and this could be our only chance to get rid of Norbit. We'll have to risk it, and we have got the invisibility cloak. Malfoy doesn't know about that. They found Fang, the boarhound, sitting outside the bandage tail when they went to tell Hagrid, who opened a window to talk to them. I won't let you in, he puffed. Norbert's a tricky stage. Nothing I can't handle. When they told him about Charlie's letter, his eyes filled with tears, although that might have been because Norbert had just bitten him on the leg. Arg! It's all right. It's only got my boot. Just playing. He's only a baby after all. The baby banged his tail on the wall, making the windows rattle. Harry and Hermione walked back to the castle, feeling Saturday couldn't come quickly enough. They would have felt sorry for Hagrid when the time came for him to say goodbye to Norbit if they hadn't been so worried about what they had to do. It was a very dark, cloudy night, and they were a bit late arriving at Hagrid's hut because they'd had to wait for Peeves to get out of their way in the entrance hall, where he'd been playing tennis against the wall. Hagrid had Norbit packed and ready in a large crate. He's got lots of rats and some brandy for the journey, said Hagrid in a muffled voice, and I've packed his teddy bear in case he gets lonely. From inside the crate came ripping noises that sounded to Harry as though the teddy was having his head torn off. Bye-bye, Norbit, Hagrid sobbed as Harry and Hermione covered the crate with the invisibility cloak and stepped underneath it themselves. Mummy will never forget you. How they managed to get the crate back up to the castle, they never knew. Midnight ticked nearer, and they heaved Norbit up the marble staircase in the entrance hall and along the dark corridors 
up another staircase, then another, even one of Harry's shortcuts didn't make the work much easier. Nearly there, Harry panted, as they reached the corridor beneath the tallest tower. Then a sudden movement ahead of them made them almost drop the crate. Forgetting that they were already invisible, they shrank into the shadows, staring at the dark outlines of the two people grappling with each other ten feet away. A lamp flared. Professor McGonagall in a tartan bathrobe and hairnet howled Malfoy by the ear. Detention, she shouted, and twenty points from Slytherin, wandering around in the middle of the night. How dare you! You don't understand, Professor. Harry Potter's coming. He's got a dragon. What utter rubbish. How dare you tell such lies. Come on. I shall see Professor Snape about you, Malfoy. The steep spiral staircase up to the top of the tower seemed the easiest thing in the world after that. Not until they stepped out into the cold night air did they throw off the cloak, glad to be able to breathe properly again. Hermione did a sort of jig. Malfoy's got detention. I could sing. Don't, Harry advised her. Chuckling about Malfoy, they waited. Norbit thrashing about in his crate. About ten minutes later, four broomsticks came swooping down out of the darkness. Charlie's friends were a cheery-looking look, lot. They showed Harry and Hermione the harness they'd rigged up so they could sh suspend Norbit between them. They all helped buckle Norbit safely into it, and then Harry and Hermione shook hands with the others and thanked them very much. At last, Norbit was going, going, gone. They slipped back down the spiral staircase, their hearts as light as their hands. Now that Norbit was off them, no more dragon, Malfoy in detention, what could spoil their happiness? The answer to that was waiting at the foot of the stairs. As they stepped into the corridor, Filch's face loomed suddenly out of the darkness. Well, 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 he whispered. We are in trouble. They'd left the invisibility cloak on top of the tower. Sobbing into his pillow for what seemed like hours, Harry couldn't think of anything to say to comfort him. He knew Neville, like himself, was dreading the dawn. What would happen when the rest of Gryffindor found out what they'd done? At first, Gryffindors, passing the giant hourglass that recorded the house points the next day, thought there had been a mistake. How could they suddenly have a hundred and fifty points fewer than yesterday? And then the story started to spread. Harry Potter, the famous Harry Potter, their hero of two Quidditch matches, had lost them all those points, him and a couple of other stupid first years. From being one of the most popular and admired people at the school, Harry was suddenly the most hated. Even Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs turned on him, because everyone had been longing to see Slytherin lose the house cup. Everywhere Harry went, people pointed and didn't trouble to lower their voices as they insulted him. Slytherins, on the other hand, clapped as he walked past them, whistling and cheering. Thanks, Potter, we owe you one! Only Ron stood by him. They'll all forget this in a few weeks. Fred and George have lost loads of points in all the time they've been here, and people still like them. They've never lost a hundred and fifty points in one go, though, have they? said Harry miserably. Well, no, Ron admitted. It was a bit late to repair the damage, but Harry swore to himself not to meddle in things that weren't his business from now on. He'd had it with sneaking around and spying. He felt so ashamed of himself that he went to Wood and offered to resign from Quidditch team. 
Resign? Wood thundered. What good'll that do? How are we going to get any points back if we can't win at Quidditch? But even Quidditch had lost its fun. The rest of the team wouldn't speak to Harry during practice, and they had to speak to him about him. They call him the Seeker. Hermione and Neville were suffering, too. They didn't have as bad a time as Harry because they weren't as well-known, but nobody would speak to them, either. Hermione had stopped drawing attention to herself in class, keeping her head down and working in silence. Harry was almost glad that the exams weren't far away. All the studying he'd had to do kept his mind off his misery. He, Ron, and Hermione kept to themselves, working late into the night, trying to remember the ingredients in complicated potions, learning charms and spells by heart, memorizing the dates of magical discoveries and goblin rebellions. Then, about a week before the exams were due to start, Harry's new resolution not to interfere in anything that didn't concern him was put to an unexpected test. Walking back from the library on his own one afternoon, he heard somebody whimpering from a classroom up ahead. As he drew closer, he heard Quirrell's voice. No, no, not again, please. It sounded as though someone was threatening him. Harry moved closer. All right, all right, he heard Quirrell sob. Next second, Quirrell came hurrying out of the classroom, straightening his turban. He was pale and looked as though he was about to cry. He strode out of sight. Harry didn't think Quirrell had even noticed him. He waited until Quirrell's footsteps had disappeared, then peered into the classroom. It was empty, but a door stood ajar at the other end. Harry was halfway toward it before he remembered what he'd promised himself about not meddling. All the same... He'd have gambled twelve sorcerer stones that Snape had just left the room. And from what Harry had just heard, Snape would be walking in with a new spring in his step. Quirrell seemed to be having given in at last. Harry went back to the library where Hermione was testing Ron on astronomy. Harry told them what he'd heard. Snape's done it then, said Ron. If Quirrell told him how to break his anti-dark force spell. They're still fluffy, though, said Hermione. Maybe Snape's found out how to get past him without asking, Hagrid said, Ron. Looking up at the thousands of books surrounding them, I bet there's a book somewhere in here telling you how to get past a giant three-headed dog. So what do we do, Harry? The light of adventure was kindling again in Ron's eyes, but Hermione answered before Harry could. Go to Dumbledore. That's what we should have done ages ago. If we try anything ourselves, we'll be thrown out for sure. But we've got no proof, said Harry. Quirrell's too scared to back us up. Snape's only got to say he doesn't know how the troll got in at Halloween and that he was nowhere near the third floor. Who do you think they'll believe, him or us? It's not exactly a secret. We hate him. Dumbledore will think we made it up to get him sacked. Filch wouldn't help if his life depended on it. He's too friendly with Snape. And the more students get thrown out, the better he'll think. And don't forget, we're not supposed to know about the stone or Fluffy. That'll take a lot of explaining. Hermione looked convinced, but Ron didn't. If we just do a bit of poking around... No, said Harry flatly. We've done enough poking around. He pulled the map of Jupiter toward him and started to lean, learn the names of its moons. The following morning, the notes were delivered to Harry, Hermione, and Neville at the breakfast table. They were all the same. Your detention will take place at 11 o'clock tonight. Meet Mr. Filch in the entrance hall. Professor M. McGonagall. 
Harry had forgotten they still had detention to do in the fewer over the points they'd lost. He half expected Hermione to complain that this whole night of studying lost, but she didn't say a word. Like Harry, she felt they deserved what they'd got. At eleven o'clock that night, they said goodbye to Ron in the common room and went down to the entrance hall with Neville. Filch was already there, and so was Malfoy. Harry had also forgotten that Malfoy had gotten a detention too. Follow me, said Filch, lighting a lamp and leading them outside. I bet you think twice about breaking a school rule again, won't you, eh? he said, leering at them. Oh, yes, hard work and pain are the best teachers, if you ask me. It's just a pity they let the old punishment die out. Hang you by your wrists from the ceiling for a few days. I've got the chains still in my office. Keep them well oiled in case they're ever needed. Right, off we go, and don't think of running off. Now, it'll be worse for you if you do. They marched off across the dark grounds. Neville kept sniffling. Harry wondered what their punishment was going to be. It must be something really horrible, or Filch wouldn't be sounding so delighted. The moon was bright, but clouds scudding across it kept throwing them into darkness. Ahead, Harry could see the lighted windows of Hagrid's hut. Then they heard a distant shout. Is that you, Filch? Hurry up! I want to get started. Harry's heart rose. If they were going to be working with Hagrid, it wouldn't be so bad. His relief must have showed him his face because Filch said, I suppose you think you'll be enjoying yourself with that oath. Well, think again, boy. It's into the forest you're going, and I'm much mistaken if you'll all come out in one piece. At this, Neville let out a little moan, and Malfoy stopped dead in his tracks. The forest, he repeated, and he didn't sound quite as cool as usual. We can't go in there at night. There's all sorts of things in there. Werewolves, I I heard. Neville clutched the sleeves of Harry's robes and made a choking noise. That's the problem, isn't it? said Filch, his voice cracking with glee. Should have thought of them werewolves before you got in trouble, shouldn't you? Haggard came striding toward them out of the dark, fang at his heel. He was carrying his large crossbow and a quiver of arrows hung over his shoulder. About time, he said. I've been waiting here for an hour and a half already. All right, Harry. Hermione? I shouldn't be too friendly to them, Hagrid, said. Filch coldly. They're here to be punished, after all. That's why you're late, is it? said Hagrid, frowning at Fitch. Been lecturing them, huh? It's not your place to do that. You've done your bit. I'll take over from here. I'll be back at dawn, said Filch. For what's left of them, he added nastily, and he turned and started back towards the castle, his lamp bopping away in the darkness. Malfoy now turned to Hagrid. I'm not going in that forest, he said, and Harry was pleased to hear the note of panic in his voice. Yeah, you are, if you want to stay at Hogwarts, said Hagrid fiercely. You've done wrong, and now you got to pay for it. But this is servant stuff. It's not for students to do. I thought we'd be copying lines or something. If my father knew what I was doing this, he'd tell you that that's how it is at Hogwarts, Hagrid growled. Copying lines? What good's that to anyone? You'll do something useful or you'll get out. If you think your father rather you were expelled, then get back off to the castle and pack. Go on. Malfoy didn't move. He looked at Hagrid furiously, but then dropped his gaze. Right then, said Hagrid. Now listen carefully, because it's dangerous what we're going to do tonight, and I don't want no one taking risks. 
Follow me over here a moment. He led them to the very edge of the forest, holding his lamp up too high. He pointed down a narrow, winding earth track that disappeared into the thick black fork trees. A light breeze lifted their hair as they looked into the forest. Look there, said Haggard. See that stuff shining on the ground? Silvery stuff? That's unicorn blood. There's a unicorn in there been hurt badly by something. This is the second time in a week. I found one dead last Wednesday. We're going to try and find the poor thing. We might have to put it out of its misery. And what if whatever hurt the unicorn finds us first, said Malfoy, unable to keep the fear out of his voice. There's nothing that lives in the forest that'll hurt you if you're with me and Fang, said Hagrid, and keep to the path. Right now, we're going to split into two parties and follow the trail in different directions. There's blood all over the place. It must have been staggering around since last night at least. I want Fang, said Malfoy quickly, looking at Fang's long tooth. All right, but I warn you, he's a coward, said Hagrid. So me, Harry, and Hermione will go one way, and Draco, Neville, and Fang will go the other. Now if any of us finds a unicorn, we'll send up green sparks, right? Get your wands out and practice now. That's it, and if anyone gets in trouble, send up red sparks, and we'll all come and find you. So, be careful. Let's go. The forest was black and silent. A little way into it, they reached a fork in the earth path, and Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid took to the left path, while Malfoy and Neville and Fang took to the right. They walked in silence, their eyes on the ground. Every now and then, a ray of moonlight through the branches above lit a spot of silver-blue blood on the fallen leaves. Harry saw that Hagrid looked very worried. Could a werewolf be killing the unicorns? Harry asked. Not fast enough, said Hagrid. It's not easy to catch a unicorn. They're powerful magic creatures. I never knew one to be hurt before. They walked past a mossy tree stump. Harry could hear running water. There must be a stream somewhere close by. There were still spots of unicorn blood here and there along the winding path. You all right, Hermione? Haggard whispered. Don't worry, it couldn't get far if it's this badly hurt, and then we'll be able to get behind that tree. Haggard seized Harry and Hermione and hoisted them off the path behind a towering oak. He pulled out an arrow and fitted it into his crossbow, raising it, ready to fire. The three of them listened. Something was slithering over dead leaves nearly nearby. It sounded like a cloak trailing along the ground. Haggard was squinting up the dark path, but after a few seconds, the sound faded away. I knew it, he murmured. There's a summit in here that should have been a werewolf, Haggard suggested. That wasn't a werewolf. It wasn't no unicorn neither, said Haggard grimly. Right, follow me, but careful now. They walked more slowly, ears straining for the faintest sound. Suddenly, in a clearing ahead, something definitely moved. Who's there? Haggard called. Show yourself. I'm armed. And into the clearing came. Was it a man or a horse? To the waist, a man with red hair and a beard. But below that was a horse's gleaming chestnut body with a long reddish tail. Harry and Hermione's jaws dropped. Oh, it's you, Ronan, said Hagrid in relief. How are you? He walked forward and shook the sentry's hand, the centaur's hand. Good evening to you, Hagrid, said Ronan. He had a deep, sorrowful voice. What are you going to shoot me? Can't be too careful, Ronan, said Hagrid, patting his crossbow. 
There's a summon. Something bad loose in this forest. This is Harry Potter and Hermione Granger, by the way. Students up at the school. And this is Ronan, you two. He's a centaur. We'd notice, said Hermione faintly. Good evening, said Ronan. Students, are you? And do you learn much up at the school? A bit, said Hermione timidly. A bit. Well, that's something, Ronan sighed. He flung back his head and stared at the sky. Mars is bright tonight. Yeah, said Hagrid, glancing up too. Listen, I'm glad we've run into you, Ronan, because there's a unicorn been hurt here. You, you seen anything? Ronan didn't answer immediately. He stared unblinkingly upward, then sighed again. Always the innocent are the first victims, he said. So it has been for ages past, so so it is now. Yeah, said Hagrid. But have you seen anything, Ronan? Anything unusual? Mars is bright tonight, Ronan repeated, while Hagrid watched him impatiently. Unusually bright. Yeah, but I was meaning anything unusual, a bit nearer home, said Hagrid. So you haven't noticed anything strange? Yet again, Ronan took a while to answer, and at last he said, The forest hides many secrets. A movement in the trees behind Ronan made Hagrid raise his bow again, but it was only a second centaur, black-haired and bodied with wilder looking than Ronan. Hello, Bane, said Hagrid. All right? Good evening, Hagrid. I hope you are well. Well enough. Look, I've just been asking Ronan. You see anything on in here lately? There's a unicorn been injured. Would you know anything about it? Bane walked over to stand next to Ronan. He looked skyward. Mars is bright tonight, he said simply. We've heard, said Hagrid, grumpily. Well, if either of you do see anything, let me know, won't ya? We'll be off then. Harry and Hermione followed him out of the clearing, staring over their shoulders at Ronan and Bane until the trees blocked their view. Never, said Hagrid irritably. Try and get a straight answer out of a centaur. Ready stargazers, not interested in anything closer in the moon. Are there many of them in here? asked Hermione. Oh, a fair few. Keep themselves to themselves, mostly. But they're good enough about turning up if I ever want a word. They're deep mind centaurs. They know things, just don't let out much. Do you think that was a centaur we'd heard earlier? said Harry. Did that sound like hooves to you? Nah, if you ask me, that was been killing them what's been killing unicorns. Never heard anything like it before. They walked on through the dense dark trees. Harry kept looking nervously over his shoulder. He had the nasty feeling they were being watched. He was very glad they had Hagrid and his crossbow with them. They had just passed a bend in the path when Hermione grabbed her Hagrid's arm. Hagrid, look! Red Sparks! The others are in trouble! You two wait here, Hagrid shouted. Stay on the path. I'll come back for you. They heard him crashing away from the undergrowth and stood looking at each other, very scared, until they couldn't hear anything but the rustling of leaves around them. You don't think they've been hurt, do you? whispered Hermione. I don't care if Malfoy has, but if something gets Neville, it's our fault he's here in the first place. The minutes dragged by. Their ears seemed sharper than usual. Harry seemed to be picking up every sigh of the wind, every quack, cracking twig. What was going on? Where were the others? 
At last, a great crunching noise announced Hagrid's return. Malfoy, Neville, and Fang were with him. Hagrid was fuming. Malfoy, it seemed, had sneaked up behind Neville and grabbed him as a joke. Neville had panicked and sent up the sparks. We'll be lucky to catch anything now with the racket you two were making. Right. We're changing groups. Neville, you stay with me and Hermione. Harry, you go with Fang and this idiot. I'm sorry, Hagrid, added in a whisper to Harry, but he'll have a harder time frightening you. And we've got to get this done. So Harry set off into the heart of the forest with Malfoy and Fang. They walked for nearly half an hour deeper and deeper into the forest until the path became almost impossible to follow because the trees were so thick. Harry thought the blood seemed to be getting thicker. There were splashes on the roots of trees as though the poor creature had been thrashing around in pain close by. Harry could see a clearing ahead through the tangled branches of an ancient oak. Look, he murmured, holding out his arm to stop Malfoy. Something bright white was gleaming on the ground. They inched closer. It was the unicorn, all right, and it was dead. Harry had never seen anything so beautiful and sad. Its long, slender legs were stuck out at odd angles where it had fallen, and its mane was spread pearly white on the dark leaves. Harry had taken one step toward it when a slithering sound made him freeze where he stood. A bush on the edge of the clearing quivered. Then out of the shadows, a hooded figure came crawling across the ground like some stalking beast. Harry, Malfoy, and Fang stood transfixed. The cloaked figure reached the unicorn, lowered its head over the wound in the animal's side, and began to drink its blood. Ah! Malfoy let out a terrible scream and bolted. So did Fang. The hooded figure raised its head and looked right at Harry. Unicorn blood was dribbling down his front. It got to its feet and came swiftly towards Harry. He couldn't move for fear. Then a pain like he'd never felt before pierced his head. It was as though his scar were on fire. Half blinded, he staggered backwards. He heard hooves behind him, galloping, and something jumped clean over Harry, charging at the figure. The pain in Harry's head was so bad he fell to his knees. It took a minute or two to pass. When he looked up, the figure had gone. A centaur was standing over him, not Ronan or Bane. This one looked younger. He had white blonde hair and a palomino body. Are you all right? said the centaur, pulling Harry to his feet. Yes, thank you. What was that? The centaur didn't answer. He had astonishingly blue eyes like pale sapphires. He looked carefully at Harry, his eyes lingering on the scar that stood out livid on Harry's forehead. You are the Potter boy, he said. You had better get back to Hagrid. The forest is not safe at this time, especially for you. Can you ride? It will be quicker this way. My name, my name is Ferenzi, he added, as he lowered himself onto his front leg so that Harry could clamber onto his back. There was suddenly a sound of more galloping from the other side of the clearing. Ronan and Bane came bursting through the trees, their flanks heaving and sweating. Ferenzi, Bane thundered. What are you doing? You have a human on your back. Have you no shame? Are you a common mule? Do you realize who this is? said Ferenzi. This is the Potter boy. The quicker he leaves this forest, the better. What have you been telling him? growled Bane. Remember, Ferenzi, we are sworn not to set ourselves against the heavens. Have we not read that? What is to come in the movements of the planets? 
Ronan pawed the ground nervously. I'm sure Ferenzi thought he was acting for the best, he said in a gloomy voice. Bane kicked his back legs in anger. For the best? What has that to do with us? Centaurs are concerned with what has been foretold. It is not our business to run around like donkeys after stray humans in our forest. Ferenzi suddenly reared onto his hind legs in anger so that Harry had to grab his shoulders to stay on. Do you not see the unicorn, Ferenzi bellowed at Bane. Do you not understand why it was killed? Or have the planets not let you in on their secrets? I set myself against what is lurking in this forest, Bane. Yes, with humans alongside me, if I must. And Ferenzi whisked around, with Harry clutching on as best he could. They plunged off into the trees, leaving Ronan and Bane behind them. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on. Why is Bane so angry, he asked. What was that thing you saved me from, anyway? Ferenzi slowed to a walk, warned Harry to keep his head bowed in case of low-hanging branches, but did not answer Harry's question. They made their way through the trees in silence for so long that Harry thought Ferenzi didn't want to talk to him anymore. They were passing through a particularly dense patch of trees, however, when Ferenzi suddenly stopped. Harry Potter, do you know what unicorn blood is used for? No, said Harry, startled by the odd question. We've only used the horn and tail hair and potions. That is because it is a monstrous thing to slay a unicorn, said Ferenzi. Only one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain would commit such a crime. The blood of a unicorn will keep you alive, even if you are an inch from death, but at a terrible price. You have slain something pure and defenseless to save yourself, and you will have but a half-life, a cursed life, from the moment the blood touches your lips. Harry stared at the back of Frenzy's head, which was dappled silver in the moonlight. But who'd be that desperate, he wondered aloud. If you're going to be cursed forever, death's better isn't it? It is, Ferenzi agreed. Unless all you need is to stay alive long enough to drink something else. Something that will bring you back to full strength and power. Something that will mean you can never die. Mr. Potter, do you know what is hidden in the school at this very moment? The Sorcerer's Stone. Of course, the elixir of life. But I don't understand who... Can you think of nobody who has waited many years to return to power? who has clung to life, awaiting their chance. It was as though an iron fist had clenched suddenly around Harry's heart. Over the rustling of the trees, he seemed to hear once more what Hagrid had told him on the night they had met. Some say he died. Codswallop, in my opinion. Don't know if he had enough human left in him to die. Do you mean, Harry croaked, that was Vol- Harry, Harry, are you all right? Hermione was running toward them down the path. Hagrid puffing along behind her. I'm fine, said Harry, hardly knowing what he was saying. The unicorn's dead, Hagrid. It's in that clearing back there. This is where I leave you, Ferenzi murmured as Hagrid hurried off to examine the unicorn. You are safe now. Harry slid off his back. Good luck, Harry Potter, said Ferenzi. The planets have been reading wrongly before now, even by centaurs. I hope this is one of those times. He turned and cantered back into the depths of the forest, leaving Harry shivering behind him. Ron had fallen asleep in the dark common room, waiting for them to return. He shouted something about Quidditch fowls when Harry roughly shook him awake. 
In a matter of seconds, though, he was wide-eyed as Harry began to tell him and Hermione what had happened in the forest. Harry couldn't sit down. He paced up and down in front of the fire. He was still shaking. Snape wants the stone for Voldemort, and Voldemort's waiting in the forest. And all this time we thought Snape just wanted to get rich. Stop saying the name, said Ron in a terrified whisper as if he thought Voldemort could hear them. Harry wasn't listening. Forenzi saved me, but he shouldn't have done so. Bane was furious. He was talking about interfering with what the planets say is going to happen. They must show that Voldemort's coming back. Bane thinks Forenzi should have left Voldemort kill me. I suppose that's written in the stars as well. Will you stop saying the name? Ron hissed. So all I've got to wait for now is Snape to steal the stone, Harry went on feverishly. Then Voldemort will be able to come and finish me off. Well, I suppose Bane will be happy. Hermione looked very frightened, but she had a word of comfort. Harry, everyone says Dumbledore's the only one you know who was ever afraid of. With Dumbledore around, you know who won't touch you. Anyway, who says the centaurs are right? It sounds like fortune-telling to me, and Professor McGonagall says that's a very imprecise branch of magic. The sky had turned light before they stopped talking. They went to bed exhausted, their throats sore, but the night's surprise weren't over. When Harry pulled back his sheets, he found his invisibility cloak folded neatly underneath him. There was a note pinned to it, just in case.